Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. I'm excited for this next sermon series. We are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first and most profound teachings. And everything that Jesus talks about in every one of his teachings goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember that statement by Shakespeare? To be or not to be, that is the question. When Shakespeare wrote this in Hamlet, he was talking about life and death. But as I was preparing for our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, this little phrase kept popping up to me, to be or not to be. That's why we gather on Sundays. We come wanting to understand who is God and who are we in light of him. To be or not to be. Having the opportunity to fully understand who God is and who we are as his greatest creation. And before we really jump into the really deep teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, there is a discourse of seven different sayings that Jesus makes to the crowd as the preamble to everything else. And when we look at the whole Sermon on the Mount and we even look at the lessons of Jesus, I believe that every single one of his teachings goes back to the question of identity. To be or not to be, that is the question. Do we really want to know who God is? And not only who he is, the very reasons why he created us. Wouldn't that be the the ultimate in humanity? That at the end of our lives, we get to stand before the living God. And Jesus goes, you got it. You got it. Not what you went out to get, but internally, you got it. I love my professor, my mentor, Leonard Sweet. When I was in school and someone said something like really profound, this is what he would say, bingo, you got it. And we would live for bingos. Like we, and if you ever got like a double bingo, it was like, dude, like, like you're next to like, ha ha. And the rest of the day, no one would talk to you because you got the double bingo. But here's the reality. I want to teach you that in the eyes of God, that getting a bingo, it's not what you accomplish. It's actually who you are. That's all he cares about, who you are. And because when you live in who you are, everything else just comes together. Everything else just flows naturally. So so let's jump into this. Matthew chapter four, but let me just pray again. Holy Spirit, I pray for a quickening. Holy Spirit, a quickening. That that which you want to speak to us this morning, 
that our hearts would be open and receptive. I ask you that, God, that, that this would be a very simple, yet for each heart a very profound message where we get to step back and begin to ask the question, who am I in light of you? And all God's people said, amen. So in order to really jump into the Beatitudes, I think we need to just kind of like back up a little bit to Matthew chapter four. Because so often what we do is we take, we take passages of scripture out of context. And there's nothing worse than when a pastor manipulates scripture for his own reasoning. Amen? And it happens all the time. But for us to really understand the Beatitudes, I think that first little part speaks a lot. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Just watch this list. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, what did he do? He healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from far east of the Jordan River. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. So, when you look at Matthew chapter four, the first three chapters of Matthew are really the beginning parts of his life. When you get to chapter four, it's the beginning part of his ministry. Oftentimes when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we feel like he's already kind of like collected his team, the 12, his disciples. It's not true. This is the very beginning of his ministry. He only has four disciples, James, John, Andrew, Simon, who's also called Peter. And so this is the very, very beginning of everything. And as he's traveling with these four men, he's doing what God had sent him to do, to prepare that he would be the final sac sacrifice for all of humanity. But... Leading up to that final sacrifice, guess what he did? He taught about the kingdom of God. He healed people. He delivered people. He gave the Jewish people and even surrounding people hope. And what I love about Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, I go back to the beginning days of the plant 15 years ago. 15 years ago in the very beginning of the plant, I knew that the foundation of what this church would be built on had to begin with two things. Being present for other people, like Jesus, right? Being present for the community, being present for our friends, being present for our neighbors. But then secondly, this. Teachings that would be the bedrock for everything else. And so all we talked about in the very beginning of the plant, which we only talk about now is, and it's a person, and his name is Jesus. 
Jesus only and only Jesus. We were so much talking Jesus that I actually had someone from our plant team, that family that went with us initially, he actually came to me one Sunday and he says, can we stop talking about Jesus and look at the Old Testament? How much longer do you think he stayed with us? Give it two months. He jumped ship because he wanted to learn law. He wanted to just kind of take his eyes off the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and, and the one who sets us free so that Jesus can do his deepest work, the things of God in our lives. But oftentimes, we just kind of want to know about everything and anything rather than the foundations of that which only matters. Plant family, we're about one thing and one thing only, Jesus. Jesus said it, it settles it. Let's not complicate it. And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's literally just the bedrock, the foundation, that if you go all the way through Matthew chapter 28, here's what you see. Every single teaching goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. And when you open John, the Gospel of John, everything goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. And when you open Mark, and when you open Luke, everything goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Because when you have such a clear, distinctive purpose or calling, the first initial teachings are most important. Correct? It's no different than owning a really good business, right? If you, have, if you own a business, you know that first three to five years matters most. And then when you hand it off to another generation, they need to go back to the foundations to why that, built, that, that whole business was built. And so we see that with Jesus. We see this deliberateness. We see this like laser beam focus. And I want to challenge you. We've invited you here, and you are here for a reason, but I want to challenge you today. Take these teachings of Jesus seriously. That's my challenge. Take these teachings of Jesus seriously to the point that you're willing to wrestle with. If Jesus said, said it, can it be settled? That's a hard place. If Jesus said it, can it be settled? So let's look at what he says, the Beatitudes. It begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you think about this word blessed, we oftentimes think about the word meaning happy, fortunate, right? Who wants to be happy? Anyone want to be happy in here? right? If your hand's not raised, you're definitely really miserable, right? Right, right? Who wants to be happy? Who wants to be fortunate? Like, like, we want that, right? Some of you are here today because you're like, my life is miserable, and please, Pastor Rob, give me something to hold on to all week long, and I love that. I love to have the ability to allow you to hold on to something all week long, but that's not the point. The point is that something deep and divine what, ha what happened in you. Blessed are, in our mindset, talks about a, a current state 
of a person. The now. I love what Aristotle said. He said, happiness is that which we all seek. Do I get a jersey amen? Uh Right, right. Do I get a little louder? Come on. Uh There we go, right? It's that which we all seek. Matter of fact, Aristotle goes as far as to say, happiness is that which drives us 24 hours a day. I think he's correct. I think his words are are, are pretty profound. That so much of what we do, why we do it, who we are with is, is what we determine that makes us happy. And if it doesn't make us happy, what do we do? Change, shift, get away from. And we live in this culture that everything is based around our, and everyone fill in the blank for me, happiness. And that's what Aristotle says. How many, 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 many years ago. But it's interesting because when Jesus began his sermon, by saying, blessed are. It's actually an ancient Jewish phrase. And he knew why they were with him. They knew that there was a crowd that was sick. He knew that there were those who were struggling. He knew that those were battling. He knew that the vast majority of people, when they heard about all he was doing, they were seeking something for their lives because that area in their life was what? Broken. And people want it fixed so they can keep going on their very way. But the blessed are phrase is very different. This is what it means in ancient Hebrew. Divine joy, a perfect happiness, a divine joy, a heavenly joy, something that lasts more than the moment. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Divinely happy and fortunate are those who possess these inward qualities. Take a moment. Read that again. Divinely happy and fortunate are those who possess these inward qualities. It's in the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us a roadmap for his deepest work in our lives, which is called sanctification. Sanctification is when we partner with Jesus for the Holy Spirit to do something in us that no one else can do. And it's interesting that when you, when you read through the Beatitudes, there is a rhythm. It's almost like a poem. It's very poetic when you go through, through the, the Beatitudes. It's very, very poetic. And he begins with that which is most important, the human heart. And he said, blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think about poverty, when we think about being poor, it means to be in loss. It means to be in a place of great, great need. When we think about poor or poverty, we think about those who can do nothing for themselves. Poor, poverty, actually in their definitions, the word bankruptcy, meaning you've lost 
everything and there's nothing you can do in your control to make up for your loss financially. But in all of our hearts, what Jesus is saying, our blessed are the poor who recognize inwardly, spiritually, that they're bankrupt. That there's something in their soul that they cannot do nor recover. And when someone recognizes that they're poor in spirit, this is all it means. And let's not complicate it. It means that you are in deep need for the eternal God to fill your life with that which is divine. To be spiritually bankrupt means that you come to a place and all you say is, God, I am lost. I have nothing left to give. Can you pay my debt? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I find it very interesting how Jesus begins with this. To be in a place of spiritual bankruptcy. This was an invitation from Jesus to start from the very bottom so God can do his best work in your life. That's all he was saying. Let's start from the bottom and let's reconstruct your life in such a way that God will do his best work in you. When I was thinking about the Beatitudes, I know oftentimes we think about Jesus and we say, of course, Jesus, he's God. He gets this. He's fully perfect, fully perfect, fully God, fully man, and, and yet he's divine. And when I, was, when I was wrestling through the Beatitudes, I said, God, who's a character in Scripture that helps us understand all of the Beatitudes working and flowing through them? And I thought about David. You see, David was a little shepherd boy. And all David thought that he was going to do was going to be a shepherd. He was from a, a basically a regular family. They had no wealth. They weren't living in a place of poverty. They were basically middle-class America. And all David was going to do was stay in the family business, which was to be a, anyone know? Shepherd. And he was going to do exactly what his father was doing. He was going to do what his grandfather had done. He was going to do what his great-grandfather had done, and so on and so on and so on. And he was going to just continue in the family business. But David had a heart. And he had a heart to truly do what God had for him best. And when you look at the life of David, every time God stepped in, David never took credit for it. David never asked to be a king. David never asked to be a warrior. David never asked for riches. 
David never asked for, for it to be safe and comfortable. Because when you look at David's life, there was nothing safe nor comfortable about it. David, we would say, is a pretty amazing man. But David was also a really big knucklehead. Do I get an amen? Right? David was a knucklehead. I don't know if that's spiritual, but we'll say it's spiritual today. He killed someone he admired, one of his number one soldiers. He had an affair. He had a child out of wedlock. He manipulated the powers that be. And this was all happening during about a year and a half stint, really about two years. So you had this guy living perfectly, doing everything right. And then all of a sudden there was this brokenness that he never really identified. And he went off the rails. And guess what? He got back on track. And when he got back on track, guess what God did? He says, okay, forgiven, over and done with. Let's keep going. And I love when you look at the life of David. Every time David was in great need, guess who David called on? God. Every single time he was in great need, he called on God. Every time something awesome happened in his life, guess who he celebrated? God. Just when things are just going normal, guess what he did? He leaned on God. And when I think about David, King David, shepherd boy David, this is what I learned. There's an importance of acknowledging the real you. To acknowledge the real you. The ability for us to continually take a self-inventory of where we are at. That when things are going amazing, not to let it get to our head. That when things are going horrible, realize that I don't have the strength to pull myself out, but God does. And that when everything is going right, I'm going to trust the process. You hear how I said that? Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Plant family, whether we like it or not, God knows everything we do. Santa doesn't. God does. Right? We love, now we love the terrifier with the elf on the shelf. The elf sees you <laughs> for like a month, this little crazy elf. Like those things are scary. We were actually at a kid's program, and this one little kid, every time they started acting up, guess what the mom did? She pulled out the elf. And he's like, woo! Woo! I'm like, that elf is spooky. That's a spooky elf. So think about that. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirits. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there your hand will, say it, guide me. 
and your strength will, say it, support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Let me jump down to verse 23. And this is where you see poor in spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Stop right there. If you struggle with anxiety, here's a remedy. Here's a medicinal act that you can perform. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You see, for David, he was as human as human can be. Everything that we have either either done or acted upon or thought about or, or whatever, David was there. And he had this inner true north in him that just kept pointing him back to God. Without you, God, I am bankrupt. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's our dilemma. Our whole goal, if we're fair, let's be honest with ourselves. In our humanness, we have this desire to build our own kingdoms here on earth. Do we get an amen? Right? Let's be honest. We love North Jersey. And New York, right? And New York. We love North Jersey. We love Hilburn. We love Suffolk. We love all the surrounding towns. And each of us loves this area. Otherwise, you move to North Carolina, correct? That's what happens. You move to North Carolina. When you, when you get tired of New Jersey, you move to North Carolina. Taxes are cheaper. It's a lot better. So in that, there's this hunger to create our heaven on earth. The problem is this. It's a subjective understanding of what God has for us. And everything we have and everything we built is under whose control? Ours. But when we come to a place where we say, Blessed am I when I live in full dependency upon God. God will reward me with eternity. And what does that mean? That you come to a place in your heart where you realize everything you have intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, comes from God. 
You release all the powers of your humanness and you give God control over all things. All things. Everything. And here's what you do. You give God permission to do his best work in your life. And you know this. Sometimes the harder you try, the more you fail. The more you kind of like push into things, the more you smother out opportunities for God to do his best work in you. Sometimes when you try to control everything, including your finances, guess what? It seems like things get worse and worse and worse and worse. So out of all these three things, have any of them happened to you? Give me an amen. Right? It's true. It's true. But what happens when we release our control of who we are, what we're called to, what we're doing, what he has planned, guess what we do? We make room for God to do his best work in us and through us. So when you look at David watching over those shepherds, he didn't care if a lion or bear came up. Guess what he did? He tore them apart because his strength came from God. When he was being chased by Saul and having to hide in caves and and being like, and he had this small little army and, and Saul had this massive army and all he was doing was running away. And as he was running away, he was actually fighting for Saul against the enemies. Guess what God was doing? God was blessing him. God was showing up. And what David was doing is he was conquering all these little enemies that were against Saul and Saul did not have the foresight to see it. Every little thing David did, God provided. And then when David was in his castle, when he was in his kingdom, because remember, David was not allowed to build the temple, but he was allowed to build the castle. Guess what? There came a moment where he became his own God. And that's when he fell. That's when he messed up. That's when everything fell apart. And he came back to a place in Psalm 51 and he repented. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and grant me a new, fresh spirit in me. And when you get to Psalm 139, that's the end of David's life and he can look back on all of his life, all that he had, all that he lost, and he can say... It's all you. It's all you. Everything I have comes from you. Blessed are those who realize they are spiritually bankrupt. Because when you do, you touch eternity. And when you continually live in that place, guess what? You allow eternity here on earth to be lived in you and through you. And when you recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt, you allow God to do more than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot or you have a little, because guess what? There is an eternal perspective that you get to start every single morning with. You want the blessed life? This is where it begins. Jesus, it's all you. 
hope, my future, my present, my broken past. You are the one who brings eternity to me. I heard something recently where there was a man of great, great wealth. Great, great wealth. And he went to church one Sunday. This is a true story. Went to church uh, one Sunday. And he was sitting and he he was hearing this message of just brokenness and, and poverty and how God wanted to really bring him the riches of heaven. But it begins with starting with understanding that that I have to understand that I'm in a place of spiritual poverty. And he walked away and he told his wife, he said, I agree with everything that the preacher said, but I am terrified to start over. Is that pretty powerful? That spiritually thought that he had to fill the gaps. He had to figure out, like, like what does God want me to do? How is God going to do this? And now I'm going to go live into this religious grind of having to prove myself to God? It's not how it works. The moment you say, Jesus, I am broken. I am bankrupt. I am lost without you. Here's my promise. Here's my promise. The riches of heaven are poured into you right away. And all you have to do is live in it. All you have to do is exercise it. All you have to do is trust your heavenly father that he will show you, he will direct you. You hear the stories of addiction. One day they have it, the next day it's gone. It works. Someone who is crazy anxious and they're no longer anxious. It works because it's not it, it's him. And when you've ever talked to someone that has had a transformative, supernatural work in their life, they'll say, I did nothing. Jesus did it all. Mm, That's good. He wants to do all things in you and through you by him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a kingdom possessor here on earth. That's what I want. That if I have much, praise God. If I lose everything, praise God. If I'm living in the apathy of Bergen County, praise God. Because nothing determines my heavenly wealth. Would you bow with me? Where's Steve? Steve in here? Steve in the evidence. He's in the back room. Come on in, Steve. We're gonna do something a little different for closing. The band can all stay there. I just need you. We're trusting the spirit. He and I, we're gonna sing what can wash away our sins. We're gonna go to the Lord's Supper because this is what Jesus said. Take your bread and your cup. Let's open it. This is what Jesus said. My body is broken for you. For you. And what I define this as is Jesus broke his body so we can have eternal riches inside us. 
that we would receive the blessings of Jesus in our hearts. He paid it all so that you can have eternity instilled in your hearts. And all you have to say is, Jesus, I am spiritually bankrupt. If you recognize that today, let's eat. You notice how every single Sunday I invite everybody to eat? You notice that? That's not traditional, but it's biblical. You see, if you've come here and Jesus is touching on your heart and he's pulling on something inside of you and you're saying, I don't fully understand this whole bankruptcy thing. All I know is that I am lost and I need Jesus. I'm inviting you today to eat. I'm giving you permission as your pastor, even if it's for today, that you get to encounter Jesus today. Eat, eat and say, Jesus, I am beginning to recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt. You're invited today to the table of Jesus. You are welcomed to say, God, I recognize that without you, I'm beginning to realize I'm nothing. And then he took the cup and he, and he poured it and he drank it. Let's drink. He said, this is the new covenant. It's not about what you do. It's about what you allow me to be in your hearts. Amen. It's about what you allow Jesus to be in your heart. Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he healer? Is he coming King? Is he your sanctifier? Is he the one that's going to do the transforming work inwardly? Hey, if you've never taken communion before, I'm challenging you now. Drink the juice. Then they're going to say, yeah, I drank that juice one day. Allow, open your heart to the Holy Spirit to begin to soften you to welcome his presence into your life. That throughout this week, he can show areas that, that you are broken, you are poor, but at the same time, as these things are being pointed out, he's gonna say, and I'm gonna do the deepest riches in your life. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Don't worry, I'm not gonna do an altar call. I'm not gonna make you stand up. I want you to have a moment with Jesus. Because if these Beatitudes, the keys to the kingdom of God are going to really flow in us and through us, there has to be a place of humility that we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing, nada, but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.